You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Oh, absolutely. We were, Buddy and I were out in my boat. I've got a little 14 foot um, Lund that I keep down there in, in Baja. And not, so I, I only go out on calm days, of course, but uh, we were out in amongst the, the flotilla that we're all fishing for um, yellowtail. And uh, we, I realized that some of the fish were up within 30 feet or so of the surface. So I said, I'm going to get my fly rod out because we were just jigging lures for them. And uh, so I had my 10 weight and I chucked a whole bunch of line out there and then paid a bunch of line out to let it sink way down um and then i just started the roly-poly as fast as i could you know you know that is a hand over hand retrieve yeah. with the rod under your arm yeah. and all and the line just stopped just like i said and then it just took off and the ball of line that was at my feet came zipping up and i had my lanyard around my neck with my nippers on it and it caught that and now i'm almost getting hung by this thing as it the fish takes off and I'm, I, I don't use anything less than 20 pound tippet down there. And it, it just snapped it like thread. I don't know what it was, because of course you can't see it. It was, it was either a yellow tail or a big skipjack tuna, but I mean, it happens in the blink of an eye. You, you know, you barely get a chance to react. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, capturing the fly fishing life, featuring in-depth conversation with fly fishers from all walks of life. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop, your source for all things fly fishing. DamianAndy.com, featuring custom music by Damian Anderson. Find out more at D-A-M-I-O-N-A-N-D-Y.com. Broken Tippet Fly Company. For blog and fly fishing apparel, check out brokentippet.com. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, visit Wait For It Films on YouTube or at thewaitcreativeco.com. Get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the Fly Crate. We have hundreds of trout, bass, panfish, and saltwater flies, ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged Euro nymphs. Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the Fly Crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order, plus receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today. Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%. So a huge congratulations before we start this to the uh, Canadian women's fly fishing team for uh, taking the team's silver uh, recently in Kamloops. This recording coming up was actually recorded um, prior to that, a couple months back with Ken Woodward. Uh, so a big shout out to the entire team, Kathy Ruddock, Sam Brio, uh, Sarah Nels, Dora Amfield, Martha Leeming, Colette Stroud. So a big shout out to the entire Canadian women's team, also to John Wilkinson and Ken Woodward. Hope you really enjoy this chat we had not so long back with Ken. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. We're really happy you are joining us, um, and we're going to do what we love to do on this show, and that is um, track down passionate people in the fly fishing space, get to know their story, and kind of find out you know, what brings you to the water, 
to the tying vice. Where did this obsession with all things fins start? We've got a dandy show for you today. We've got Ken Woodward on the line. Been trying to get Ken on this show for some time. He is a retired middle school teacher. Uh, he's Togan's pro staff, a former professional biologist, spends a lot of time out at Tunkwa Lake, and that is one beautiful part of the world. He's also a competitive fly fisher. Uh, he was in the uh, 2015 BC Provincial Lockstyle Championships, is in the Kingfishers uh, fly fishing team as well. We'll talk all about that. He's also a casting instructor at Casting Loops, now calls kind of Kamloops slash Tunkwa home ken thanks so much for coming on the show man really appreciate your time oh thanks for having me on i uh, i appreciate being asked it's an honor to be amongst all the other guys and women that i've uh, i've seen you've been interviewing and you know a, a couple of things i'll just mention mm-hmm. um i my my casting instruction is actually with always fly casting with drew alway and uh we we do it in conjunction sometimes with casting loops um i'm an assistant guide at casting loops as well and uh I want to give a little plug also to uh, the um, world championships that are coming to Kamloops this September. I'm manager and BC coach of the Canadian women's fly fishing team. And uh, so hopefully we'll be able to talk about that a little bit later today. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, rabbit holes we can jump down without a doubt. I love it. How, how's Tunkwa look today? Is it flat? It's pretty flat. It's got that nice little bit of a coronamid chop on it. Um, I'll just walk over and look out our front window here. I'm not seeing too many boats out. Yeah, there's a bunch down by the knoll and a couple scattered around, but uh, it's it's pretty quiet. But it looks like a nice day, that's for sure. I wish I could go out there. I'm not allowed to fish it right now. Oh, right. I, that is a, yeah, I did. I, I was aware of that, but I kind of forgot to be. That must be tough. It's in your backyard and you can't fish it. <laughs> oh, it's it's in my front yard. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I, it's, I, I mean, I, you know, I kind of, you know, resolve myself to know I've got to give it the two months. I can't fish it and it'll inspire me to go to other places and, mm-hmm. you know, we revisit some old haunts or discover some new ones and stuff. I'm curious, do you, do you look for other lakes that maybe fish somewhat similar if there is such a thing? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I, to, be, to be honest, I really like lakes where I can see the fish. And uh, in Tunkwa, that is rarely possible. You know, Tunkwa's claim to fame, of course, is the big bomber chronomids. And, uh, you know, that's really exciting when those are hatching and, you know, and fish are going crazy on them. But uh, I love sight fishing too. So, you know, I, I like to go to lakes where there's a clear, you know, mm-hmm. uh, marl bottom where I can see fish cruising and cast them and stuff. I think a lot of our listeners that, well, obviously, a lot of our listeners are familiar with Tonkwa Lake, but also when you say bomber chronomids, maybe a lot of people don't realize how big this hatch, how big these insects actually are, because chronomids, you know, largely are fairly small insects. But uh, tell us about that bomber hatch you guys have there. And isn't it happening pretty quick here normally? Yeah, it's, you know, it's since the beetle kill and the fires we've had, the timing has kind of changed and the numbers have changed. But <clears throat> basically what bomber chronomids are, are very large chronomids where the adults can be maybe sometimes almost an inch long or more. And the, and the pupa are certainly an inch long. Um, they often hatch late July, early August. And, uh, you know, when they're hatching in big numbers, the fish seem to get stupid. You know, you... You, you, a lot of times, you'll, you, if you're in your boat by yourself and you're fishing two rods, you end up having to put one rod away because they're both going and you just can't keep up. Mm. Um, 
And but you know, interestingly, we like this year we had bombers hatching back in May, you know, and we used to have to wait till late July for them. And uh, we had um, the Fly BC bomber run here a little while ago. And the last few summers, it actually has been the bomber less run. But uh, happily, you know, just as the bomber run um, started, the bomber run, meaning the, the get together for Fly BC, some bombers started hatching. And so the guys got out there and, uh, and had some pretty good days. Hmm. But, uh, you know, I remember when we, we first started coming to Tonquil Lake a long time ago, um, I'd only been fishing in the Okanagan. Um, and chronomids, most of the chronomids around there are quite small. And I, you know, I went out on Tonquil midsummer in the pea soup algae and a, a book that I'd been reading about lake fishing in BC said, oh, you know, don't bother fishing Tunqua midsummer. It's only good for trollers. There's too much algae. But I went out on the lake and I saw these monster chronomids flying around. And I didn't have anything even close to that size. So I, you know, luckily had my tying stuff with me, went back inside and tied, did the best I could to tie some big chronomids. And I just had a heyday once I went back out there. And that, that really got me hooked on it. That's awesome. And I have seen that hatch. And for some reason, correct me if I'm wrong, but they remind me of like a Christmas tree, just red and green and large. Yeah, they they can be like that for sure. Um, that's another thing that I've noticed over the years being here is the, the colors have changed. Uh, years ago, we used to often use um, kind of a dark brown you know, um, with a, with a red rib, which worked really well because the, the pupa were dark reddish brown. Mm-hmm. And then after the beetle kill, they, we started seeing a lot more green ones. And, uh, and that's more the case now. They tend to be more green. Um, we don't really see the big dark reddish brown ones as much anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, you know, it's, I, I think the water chemistry is changing. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that on some lakes, you know, further south that we fish a lot. Um, caddis for instance on a lot of lakes i i struggle now to hit a caddis hatch whereas it used to be fairly common at least it's unless my memory is incorrect it's funny how these things change over time but there's some tea colored lakes we've got down this way with you know you know textbook lily pads and and uh lots of pupa usually on on the you know the lake bottom but i just don't see those caddis hatches like we used to I think I think that's kind of the the same everywhere because I, I don't see those big travelers, mm. you know, skittering around too much anymore. When we first put our trailer in at Tunkwa Lake Resort back in 2000, um, I used to regularly, when we got there on July, you know, first week of July, be able to catch fish right in the canal in front of the channel on on big sedge patterns because the big travelers would be skittering around in there. But I rarely ever see them anymore. Mm. Well, let's take some time to get to know you off the water a little bit, Ken. Uh, um, let's uh, start with a few questions here about your day to day. So, let's say you're gonna, let's say you could fish Tonkwa today, or you're heading out the front door. Um, yeah. Wh- what are you tying up more often than not? Like, is it maybe it sounds like a bomber maybe this time of year, but um, you know, let's talk in generalities too. Like, is there a, is there an um, imitation pattern, like a, a searching pattern you go to? Um, you know, in the summertime, it would typically be like you're talking about big chronids or, you know, maybe maybe leeches if I'm not seeing much of a hatch. Um, in spring and fall, I really like the shallow water fishing, um, often using a shrimp pattern mm-hmm. um, or damsels. Damsels can be really good on Tonkwa as well. Um, and there's a there's a little fly that uh, 
that lots of people around here know about called the mini mart, which, which can work well, which is, I think kind of imitates a caddis pupa, but it's also just a buggy looking little fly. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, that I, one. I'm going to be Googling I, that. What does that, yeah. look, what does that look like, Ken? Oh, uh, do you know what the Kmart special looks like? Uh, is it kind of like a carry? It's exactly. It's just a variation of a carry special. Yeah. It's like a, so it's like a little mini olive carry. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually a great. I know when when caddis are popping and you can get them on pupa, man, that can be a lot of fun. Oh, it's a it's a hoot for sure. Although I must admit, if there's a big caddis hatch, I love stripping a big sedge on the surface and having those, you know, those explosions when a big fish goes after it. <laughs> what are you listening to uh, music wise these days? Are you uh, much of a music guy? I like listening to music, not as much as when I was younger, when I used to, you know, blast my ears out in the car going places. But, you know, to be honest, when I'm driving, a lot of times I just turn on CBC radio and, and listen to that. Or I, we've got Sirius, and you know, Sirius XM. And, uh, you know, if we get out of radio range, which often happens, we put on Sirius and we listen to like classic rewind, classic vinyl. But I'll switch over to... Um, you know, alt nation once in a while, just to, to get, see what the young ones are listening to. Or I, I like, um, you know, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville station. I like, um, underground garage, that kind of stuff. Nice. Mixing it up a little bit. Yep. Um, where do you get your fix when you're not fishing? So, I mean, there's probably lots of places for you being that you're involved with the, uh, national fly fishing teams, but, um, is there a coffee shop? Is there a fly shop? Is it the lake? Where do you get your fix when you're not out there? Like, what do I like to do when I'm not fly fishing? Well, no, more so when you can't fly fish. So let's say let's say it's January, and uh, you just want to get your fill of fly fishing. Your fix, you know, are you tying? Are you are you on social media? Do you go to the local fly shop? You know, it's uh, funny you say January because nowadays, um, over the last couple of years, my wife Wendy and I. Um, have been going down to Baja, Mexico for the winter. Nice. And so I have no problem getting my fly fishing fix. I, I get up in the dark every morning and walk down to the beach with my eight weight and uh, cast off the beach. And, you know, so it's funny. I When we got back in May this year, I didn't have that same burn to get out on the water as I always did every spring because I'd been, you know, hibernating all winter. Now I don't hibernate. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm, uh, I'm fishing all the time. So uh, What you know, are you I, fishing on the beach? Um, you know, various species in, it depends on kind of the time of winter. Um, a lot of mornings you, you, you catch these fish called ladyfish, which are, there's, they're like a relative of tarpon and bonefish and, uh, they're quite fun to catch. They, they jump and run and stuff almost like a trout. Hmm. And, uh, so I'll get those while it's still dark or just barely getting light. Cause they're, they're quite wary. As soon as the sun comes up above the horizon, they're gone. Um, and then once the sun is up, um, fish like Jack Creval come by, sometimes skip Jack Kuna, although they don't come that close to shore that often. And it's exciting when those Jack Creval come by because they're chasing bait fish on the surface. You can see them coming. So you, you know, you quickly try and get a cast out in amongst them. And if you, if you do and strip it fast, it's, it's game on. You, you can get lots of hookups in no time, but, but they're, they're there and they're gone. Sometimes the window of opportunity is very short mm. and there's, there's, there's no flats where we are. We're in a little town called Los Bariles down in the southern part of Baja on the Sea of Cortez. And 
it's just a steep drop off off the beach. So it's not like you're waiting around looking for a fish. You've got to wait for them to come by. Hmm. But it's very fun. Those, you know, salt, I, I get excited talking about it because those saltwater fish, they just pull like freight trains, like a, you know, a five pound saltwater fish will pull a steelhead around backwards. And are you throwing for the most part minnow patterns for these guys or, or what? Yep. The, yep. Yeah. For down, down there, it's almost exclusively bait fish patterns. I, 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 I would like to learn more about fishing some of the um, crustacean patterns and that that they do um, around the, around the, like reefs and stuff, but I'm, we've only been doing it for a couple of winters and I'm just starting to learn, learn the nuances down there. Ken, are you, do you fish like a clouser? Like, I'm just kind of curious specifically, like, is there any type of pattern you, you go to? Yeah, I fish, I fish clousers and I also fish a, a bait fish pattern that was taught to me by a fellow named Gary Boyer. Who's a, a guy who's, I think he's from Idaho, but I'm, we met him down in, uh, in Baja, he's a he's a passionate fly fisher. You'd call him a fishing bum, probably. He uh, he basically lives to fly fish, and uh, it's a. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this material called um, Steve Ferrar UV blend. It's a uh, it's like a synthetic fiber, synthetic hair, and uh, you just there's a way of tying it into a bait fish pattern where it's got a little bit of bulk to it, but it's very light and easy to cast with nice big eyes, mm. and and having that UV in it um, really makes it attractive, and so I've been I've been fishing a lot of those, and you catch almost everything with them because most of the, you know, when you're out in the open water or you know off the beach where it's a sandy beach and stuff, those those predatory fast fish they're chasing other fish, so uh, you know you put something that looks like a fish in amongst them and rip it fast, they they'll drill it. Does it amaze you? Like I know how much how big of a part fly fishing is in your life in your world but when you meet somebody like gary and you go this guy's at another level like does that does does that make you step back and go man i thought i was into it oh yeah he's he's into it all right i mean he yeah he i I think he fishes pretty much every month of the year he spends he spends winters down south and then he goes back up to idaho and uh and 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 uh, spends summers up there he he caretakes at silver creek and he uh you know, he tests lines for Rio and stuff. He's yeah, he's he's right into it. But yeah, I'm 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 not as into it as he is. But he's he's a you know, it's great to meet guys like that and chum around with them because you learn so much. Yes, amen for sure. Love it. Uh, are you much of a sports guy? I always like to talk sports on this show. So um, you know, you're spending a lot of time in sounds like British Columbia. What um, is it? The local teams? Is it the Alberta teams? Is it hockey, football? Where do you get your fill in sports? I must admit, I'm not really a fan of, of those kind of sports. I rarely ever watch them. I might watch playoffs and stuff if there's other people around that are into it just, just for something to do. But if I'm going to watch sports, I, I like I like watching motorsports like um, MotoGP or Supercross or Formula One, stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's you know, it's funny. Formula One's come up a lot lately on this show. Might have to. Oh, is that right? Eh? Yeah, yeah. I think the last three or four people I chatted with were were totally into it. Love it. My um, well, just as a little aside, my my father in law, who you know is sadly deceased, but he was a member of the British Racing Drivers Club, who owned Silverstone Raceway in England, where the British Grand Prix is held every year. Oh wow! And uh, I was fortunate enough to go over and with my um, brother in law and um, a cousin in law and. Uh, attend the British GP with Merv, my father-in-law 
Um, and it was like, I felt like an Oki from a Skokie and amongst all the rich guys. Cause we, we had the keys to the castle. We could go anywhere we wanted in the racetrack. And, you know, since he was a member of the club and, uh, got to meet Jackie Stewart and, you know, watch the, the British Grand Prix. It was, it was very exciting. It's funny. So I, I spent, my family's from England and, uh, we did live there a few years when I was little. And I just remember Jackie Stewart is a great, great day for motor car. I just, remember, oh, yeah. I remember him saying that and it just, I knew nothing about formula one, but, uh, that guy got the, the, the blood, the juices flowing, let's say. Oh, it's, it's a whole other world. I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys and gals that are into it are into it. Kind of like fly fishing, right? You know, it's, uh, Oh yeah. Passion. Yeah. Amen. Um, yeah. why do you do this? Like you just said, passion, maybe that hit it on the head. I don't know. But what, what does fly fishing, fly time, what does it bring into your world? Well, I, you know, I, I love being outside, out away from the city, out in nature and stuff. And, and I love learning too. And I, the thing I love about fly fishing is you can never know everything. You know, you're constantly learning. Um, you know, it's completely open-ended and, uh, you know, it's, it, I love that, you know, that trying to solve the puzzles and, and uh, figure things out. And, you know, even if it's a, you know, a lousy day of catching, it's always a good day of fishing. And, you know, yeah. and in fact, sometimes my, the toughest days are the most satisfying ones when you finally figure something out and get a fish, you know, it's uh, I, I like that. I like the, the, you know, it occupies your mind and stuff. Yeah. Well, I was recently on a lake where we were having a tough time and, but my body was doing well. He just happened to find the fish in like 30 feet of water on like uh chronomid pupa patterns, deep lining. And it's like it, nobody else was catching, but he was dialed in and I'm, it, it just kind of made me look back. And you know, you know, you have those days where sometimes you're on it, sometimes you're not. Maybe the fish are doing something different than you thought they would be doing and you're just not reading it right. And it can be frustrating. And it's even more frustrating when Buddy is um, on the other side of the lake lighting it up, right? Oh yeah. 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 It's always more fun to be the guy that's doing the lighting up than watching somebody <laughs> that's lighting it up. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk work. So, um, you've had, you know, let's say, uh, several incarnations as far as career wise sounds like, um, what was the best gig you had in your mind? Well, I, I don't know if you call it work, but the best gig I've ever had is being a parent, Ooh, but, uh, good one. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, we, we didn't have kids super young. We were in our, I think I was like 30 when we had our kids. And I, if I had realized how great it would be, I would have started a lot sooner. Hmm. But in terms of actual paid gigs, um, being a, a middle school teacher was a fantastic job. I was a professional biologist before that. And I, I really enjoyed that too. But, you know, I was working for a consulting firm and it, it was, uh, it was becoming more about money than it was about science. And I got into it because I like science and, uh, you know, working in a middle school, working with the kids, especially younger kids, they're so enthusiastic and, and open-minded and curious about things. You know, at my middle school, um, I had a fly fishing program for many years and that was just an absolute blast teaching those kids. Hmm. Yeah. Love it. I hear that from a lot of teachers, how rewarding, it can be, you know, and it, well, you're still teaching, right? I mean, you're teaching whether it's fly fishing classes or casting classes. I mean, it's, it's still a large part of your life, sounds like. Yeah, I really enjoy that. I love, you know, helping people get better at things or discover things. And, uh, 
you know, it's, it's, that's one of the reasons I got into um, teaching fly casting. And, and even when I do the little bit of guiding I've been done for casting loops, I, I quite enjoy it when the, the people that you take out want to learn, you know, not just catch fish, but learn about entomology and the fish and things like that. It's, it's, it's really fun being able to share the little bit that I know. How did you discover fly fishing? Do you remember? Yeah, I do actually. Um, back in 1987, uh, I was transferred by the company I worked for to Lillooet to operate the pink salmon spawning channels up there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so Wendy and I, who, who was pregnant at the time, you know, packed up and moved all our stuff to a little house on the channels up in, in Lillooet. And, uh, you know, I got busy doing the job, but um, I had been a competitive fencer before we moved up there, and I was used to being busy, you know, almost every night of the week training and then going to competitions on weekends and stuff. And I was getting a little bit bored after work because I didn't really have anything to do. And uh, so I was chatting with one of my colleagues, a fellow named Adam Lewis, who's also a passionate fly fisherman. And uh, he said, you know, you should, you should try fly fishing. And, and you know, said, you're in a good area for it. And then I said, I don't know anything about that. Where would I even get stuck? Because, of course, there's no fly shops in Lillooet. Um, and it just so happened that a friend of his, Brian Babcock, had just opened his shop in Coquitlam, Babcock Fly and Tackle. Yeah. So uh, um, Adam said, well, I'll get you an outfit if you want. So he put together, a, you know, a basic six-weight outfit with a, you know, reel and a couple lines and a box of flies and the, that book called The Gilly, which you probably know about, mm -hmm. and put it on the bus and sent it to Lillooet. And... Uh, so I got all this stuff and, you know, it was definitely the blind leading the blind. I, you know, I dug that book out and started reading it and went down to the river and spent a lot of time snapping flies off and hitting myself. And, but it was, it was neat. You know, I kind of had to semi teach myself cause there was nobody else to learn from. And I was in an ideal spot. We lived right on the river. So I could just walk out after work and walk way down into the river and fish. And it just, you know, as you know, those things often happen it uh it just took over and became a passion so so your evolution let's say as a fly fisher so you're young you're you're getting out there you're learning from adam you're learning from um it sounds like babcock's flying tackle um name some names like and because now being you know in the competitive scene i'm sure um you've been influenced by a lot of people as now you are influencing others but Throw some other names at us. Like who else has kind of been integral oh, in your growth in, in fly fishing? There, you know, there's been lots actually. I was just chatting with Wendy about that and say, you know, remind me of some people. And it's like, a, I could make a huge list and I, I, I hate to name names with, and then miss somebody, but I'll tell you a few people like, um, I don't know if you remember a fellow named Peter Morrison, who sadly passed away. I do. He, um, yeah, he was a good friend of mine and he, uh, he encouraged me to become a casting instructor and he was helping with me with that um, before he passed. Um, and I can, that kind of knocked the wind out of my sails, but my, my fly club in Penticton had a member or still has a member named Dennis Grant, who is also a master casting instructor. And mm -hmm. he, um, you know, heard the story that I told him about Peter and stuff. He said, well, we got to get you back in the saddle. So he organized a cohort and we, you know, we, we, a bunch of us actually got qualified because of him. So he's helped me a ton, you know, improve my casting and, and uh, teaching and stuff. Um, you know, at arm's length, of course, I've learned lots from Brian Chan. Um, Phil Rowley's a friend of mine. I've learned lots from him. Mm -hmm. uh, a fellow named Jack Batula and Vernon has taught me lots. He, he got me going up on Skeena, um, Sockeye and Steelhead and stuff. 
um, Ruben Breitkreitz, who's now the, you know, he's the rep for, uh, for Sage Rio and Reddington in, uh, in Western Canada. And I'm also on his pro staff. He's, he's helped me lots. Um, of course, Johnny Wilkinson and all the rest of the Kingfishers mm-hmm. have been super helpful and, uh, you know, taught me lots about comp fly fishing, Taro Ishii, um, yeah. um, Gary Boyer, who I mentioned before, of course. And, you know, and now, you know, I'm old enough and I've been doing it long enough now that I've gone from having to read books like The Gilly and pour through magazines to now, I, I you know, I, I love magazines and stuff, but I still, my first thing now is if I want to know about something, I just go online. And so, yeah. you know, I, I years ago joined Fish BC, which was an online forum, which morphed over into Fly BC. And uh, I've learned a lot from those guys. They, in fact, they've been they've been fantastic in you know being generous with my fly fishing program and that too. Well, one more guy I'll mention, and I'm sure you've heard of him, is Davey McPhail. Oh, I just yeah. love I love watching his fly tying videos. Yeah. He's just yeah. so good. I yeah. I like the the guy's very calming too. I don't know. It's weird. It's I almost feel like you remember Bob Ross when he <laughs> you bet. on PBS. I feel yeah, like, he's like I feel that way when Davey's got a video going. Oh, he's like the Bob Ross of fly tying for sure. I was going to mention, yeah, like he's he's got such a gentle, easygoing nature about him, and and just so casually competent. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Casually competent. That's going to stick. Huh. Good stuff. That, well, I mean, those are some great influences, and uh, um, a lot of those folks we have had on on this very show. And was Peter not also the sage rep back in the day? I seem to remember that. He sure was. Yep. Yeah. He, uh, he basically, um, Ruben took over when, uh, when Peter passed. So, um, in fact, Ruben worked for Peter and, uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I knew, I knew Peter before he was even involved as a fly fishing rep. He used to sell like smoking paraphernalia or something like that back in the day. Hmm. Well, I remember he used to come in. I used to work at a, uh, it was called big sky sports. I used to be Taylor sports shop, uh, downtown Penticton. And I remember, uh, Peter would come in and, uh, you know, I think he was, did he have Springbrook flies maybe back in the day too? I, I or Springbrook waiters maybe? Waiters. Yeah. And sorry, there's yeah. a, there was a fly company too that he was, uh, I seem to remember we were buying flies from him for years, but. Oh yeah. He would, he would have had all sorts of lines. He probably would walk in and go, good day. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Right on. It's, it's amazing how these people impact our lives and, for the most part, a lot of them probably don't even realize it, you know. Oh yeah, hmm. yeah, amazing. But I, I kind of, I, you know, it's that what goes around comes around thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, hopefully, you can, you know, pay it forward. You're talking about Dennis Grant. I, I don't really know Dennis. I do want to get him on the show, but he was, he was at a local uh, hunting shop, and I was uh, just happened to be in there, and he was. Uh, showing me some and he's like oh you cast I want to see your cast he's like oh man we got a lot of work to do with you <laughs> something <laughs> like would, that he would he would have done it in a real calm gentle uh, way yeah no he but and then he's like casting around bumpers and i'm just like yeah this is uh this is a little out of my league i'm just oh, i know i'm throwing an indicator for the most part yeah but which, yeah, no, he's he's a master with the fly rod. He makes it look so easy. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny how different things, like 
I'll be honest with you, and I don't say this often, Ken. I don't give a crap about casting. It's it just does not interest me. Like, I, yeah, I want to get the line out there. You want to look like you somewhat know what you're doing, but at the end of the day, for me, it's about the bugs and it's about the you know getting in the zone. And I don't really care about the casting. And I know that's probably a, a not a you know a a good way to look at it, but it's the least important thing in 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 what I think I'm doing. But um, I know yeah, Johnny had a few uh, words about my cast too. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> yeah. You That's know, it's it, it it's one of those things that I remember. I said how about like fly fishing is kind of open ended, and it's another thing that you know, even if the fishing is not very good, I I can work on my cast. And there's personally, anyway, I I get real satisfaction if it all comes together and a you know a beautiful loop goes sailing out there and stuff. Same with you know, fishing with the two-hander, spay fishing, because let's face it, when you're swinging for steelhead, yeah. the odds of getting a take are pretty slim. So I enjoy the the casting part too and trying to make each one a little bit better. That that looks amazing to me. And, you know, the, the two-handed casting, uh, the spay casting, it's just, it's it's that looks very interesting. And the fact that you can fish so far from where you're standing boggles my mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, once you learn how to do it, you can launch it pretty good. Yeah, good stuff. All right, so let's let's talk about a little bit about what you're up to these days. So, I mean, obviously you're involved heavily with the national fly fishing team. Um, what's your role exactly? Kind of walk us through that. What are you doing with the uh, Canadian national teams? Well, I'm I'm manager and BC coach of the Canadian women's national team, which is a new team. Canada's never had a women's national team before this past year. Um, so, you know, I kind of look after the sort of nuts and bolts of finances and sort of the organizing things. And Johnny Wilkinson, who we've you know mentioned already, he's the, he's the head coach and, and, uh, and team captain for the team. And uh, so we work together to try and get the, get the women organized to try and do the best they can at the worlds in September here. And so we, we had a, um, a nationals last year to select a team and uh, we've got six, you know, great ladies there that are that are chomping it a bit to get out there and uh, and you know represent Canada well. Um, so yeah, most of my job is just to to help them get organized and keep track of things and uh, you know look after the the the, the financial stuff and that. Um, you may have you I can't remember, but have you interviewed Kathy Reddick yet? Yes, I sure sure have. Yeah. So, so of course Kathy is on the team. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, we've had, um, quite a few gals from your team, I believe on the show. Um, oh shoot. Names are escaping me all of a sudden, but, um, Colette Stroud. We've had Colette on there. Yeah. We've Um, had Kathy. We had, um, Martha Leeming. Martha was on. You got it. Yeah. Who else is on the team? Why don't you throw some names at us? Um, well, we've, then there's Jane Vincent. Um, there's Sam Brule and Sarah Nellis. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So going into this, how's, how, what's your gut feel? I mean, I know those are some pretty strong fly fishers right there. I think they're going to do very well. They've all been working hard to practice. And of course we'll have a week of practice before the event when they they all come together. Um, Getting together to practice can be a bit of a challenge because they're, they're all from different places. You know, Sarah's from in Quebec. Um, Sam and Marta are both from Alberta um, Jane spends part of her time in Australia and then on Vancouver Island. Um, 
and Colette is up in Prince George. So we've already, you know, practiced a bit um, down here, but we'll, we'll get together for a good training camp when they, when they get here in September. And of course they're all out fishing all the time and practicing. And, you know, Johnny, you know, being head coach is giving them lots of ideas of things to work on. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to do well, you know, this is their home turf. And so um, hopefully they'll, uh, they'll do a really good showing for Canada. Mm-hmm. What, what are the venues? Um, it sounds like Tonkwa. Um... So for the women, because um, as you know, that's both women's and masters world championships, but the women will fish on Tonkwa, Leighton, Edith, Sullivan, which is also known as Knopf Lake, or Nuf, or however you pronounce it, and the Similkameen River. So there's for the women, there's four lake sessions, which will be fished lock style from a drifting boat, and then one river session. Hmm. Yeah, I fish that Similkameen a lot, or I have over the years. This year has been a bit, a bit, a bit of a weird one, but it, it's amazing to me that river, how it goes from like crazy high, and then it's just crazy low. There's not a, you know how that sweet spot where it's just starting to clear and you know the fish are going to be around and um, it's getting smaller and smaller, it seems, every year. Yeah, I was there just a little while ago and, yeah, it was quite low and we were just wading wet quite comfortably, you know, like you, you didn't feel cold at all, like the water's warm. Um, how, how was fishing? It, well, this was probably two weeks ago at least and it was pretty good, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I caught lots of lots of little rainbows and white fish and stuff. and Good. You know, yeah, it's a. I if if there was lots of streams right around Tonkwa, I'd probably fish streams more more than lakes. I love stream fishing. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Hmm. We fish some of the little feeder streams too into into the smoke. I mean, those can be fun. They're pretty fish. They're small for the most part. Yeah. But um, but if you you know you you size your gear accordingly, like I, when I'm on a smoke, I mean, if I fish a two weight nymphing rod and a three weight you know dry fly rod mm-hmm. and. uh you know, especially if you hook one of those those big white fish that are in there, that, they'll put a pretty good bend in that rod. Some of those white fish get pretty big. I, I've caught oh, yeah. one, I caught one below Bromley Rock, kind of on the you know those rolling boulder runs there, and um, I was shocked how big it was. I haven't caught anything close to that size since, but and they yeah. and they they really school up, right? If you find them, chances are you're going to have some fun. You bet. That's the trick: find them and then uh, stay on them for a while. And if you're fishing dry, keep it small because they have weird mouths. It's not like a trout, right? Yeah, they've got a small mouth and it kind of faces down a little bit. So, mm. yeah, yeah. The, to be honest, I've rarely ever hooked one on a dry fly. I mostly get them on nymphs. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Let, paint us a picture of your perfect day out there, Ken. Like, is it on your home lake? I mean, is it is it looking out there with a cup of coffee and then and then hitting the still or... Um, I was, you know, who are you hanging you know, out with? Are you hanging out with Wendy? Are you anchored up? What are you throwing? Walk us through that. You know, it's funny. My perfect day has, you know, in the last few years changed. It used to be, yeah, to go out, you know, um, maybe a perfect day would be on, on a lake on a, with a clear, clear water with a nice moral shoal with big fish cruising and traveler said just skidding and skittering on the surface and, you know, casting a big mickaluck out in front of a cruising fish you know, twitching it on the surface and having the cannonball drop on it when the fish explodes. But since we've been going down to Baja, I've I've really become enamored with a, a fish called a rooster fish. Oh yeah. I don't know if you've heard of those or not, but they're such beautiful looking fish with that big rooster like um dorsal, you know, like a, like the comb of rooster on top. And 
Um, so, you know, what's really exciting for me is to, to go out in a boat on a calm day and be scanning around looking for disturbances on the surface. And, you know, off in the distance, you see the water frothing. So you zip over with the boat and you see, you know, big, these big fish with the big stripes on their side, just ripping through the bait. And, you know, your hands are shaking You grab the 10 weight and quickly try and get a cast in amongst them before they disappear. And, you know, strip it. You, you can't strip it fast enough. You got to just strip as fast as you can. And then also, you know, the thing just stops like you've, you've, you've hooked a log or something. And then the line just starts peeling, you know, off the deck of the boat. You're trying not to get it tangled in anything when it, before it hits the reel. And then the fight is on. It's, it's a hoot. Like those saltwater fish. Now that I've started doing that kind of stuff, it, uh, it, it just gets my blood boiling when you see those fish chasing bait fish. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And I can imagine too that if if you happen to have a bit of a mess of line on the bottom of the boat around your feet whatever, you got to be careful. Oh, absolutely. We were a buddy and I were out in my boat. I've got a little 14 foot um lund that I keep down there in in Baja and not so like, I only go out on calm days of course, but uh we were out in amongst the the flotilla that we're all fishing for um yellowtail and uh we, I realized that some of the fish were up within 30 feet or so of the surface. So I said, I didn't get my fly rod out because we were just jigging lures for them. And uh, so I had my 10 weight and I chucked a whole bunch of line out there and then paid a bunch of line out to let it sink way down. Um, and then I just started the roly poly as fast as I could. You know, you know that is a hand over hand retrieve yeah. with the rod under your arm. Yeah. And, all, and the line just stopped, just like I said. And then it just took off. And the ball of line that was at my feet came zipping up and I had my lanyard around my neck with my nippers on it and it caught that. And now I'm almost getting hung by this thing oh. as it, the fish takes off. And I'm, I, I don't use anything less than 20 pound tippet down there. And it, it just snapped it like thread. I don't know what it was. Cause of course you can't see it. It was, it was either a yellow tail or a big skipjack tuna, but I mean, it happens in the blink of an eye. You, you know, you barely get a chance to react. <laughs> that sounds addictive. And then your your hands are shaking after going, holy cow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great. Yeah. Oh, how, oh, it is. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, how big of a part is fly tying in your world? Like, is that something you spend a lot of time doing? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, it depends on, on whether I need flies or not. I've got, as you can imagine, after fly fishing for 30 plus years, I've got a lot of flies, but I do, I tie all my own flies unless, you know, unless I want to get one to copy, I'll, you know, buy one and then use it as a template. But being a little bit on the thrifty side, I like tying my own. Plus I, I like being able to get it just the way I want it. So yeah, I tie, I, I tie, uh, you know, quite a few flies. Um, you know, I was looking at my chronomids the other day and I've got thousands of them and I actually haven't hardly tied a chronomid this year because I just, I've got so many, I'm just using what I've got. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but down South, um, even though you don't need a big variety of flies, you go through quite a few because they're very toothy creatures and uh, they either break you off or cut you off or they just shred the flies. So, um, you know, in the winter time, um, I'm tying flies every every other day probably to try and keep up so that I've got some when I go out when the days when it calms enough to get out there. Yeah, it's uh, I, I like talking tying, and I, I know obviously you're uh, with Togans Pro Staff. What are you? What kind of vice? I like to talk equipment. Like, what kind type of vice do you like to tie on? Um, let's talk uh, thread. I, whatever you you know. What what's your go tos? 
Well, I was fortunate enough that years ago, um, my family, knowing that I loved, you know, fly fishing and fly tying, they all got together and bought me a Renzetti Master fly tying vice. Hmm. And uh, so that's that's the one I use when I'm at home. Um, I don't usually take it with me when I travel because I'm afraid of losing it. But uh, but it's a beautiful vice. I don't think I'll ever need another one. They're, you know, just so well made. Um my travel vice was my my first rotary, which is a Dan vice. If you've heard of those, yeah, have yeah, and uh, and it works well as as you know, but it's not as you know, certainly no master. So, but I I take that with me when we when we go travel and stuff, so that I've got a a decent vice. They got great jaws. It's you know just they're they're not as easy nice to use as a master. What, um, what about hooks? Like, um, is there a brand of hooks you kind of lean towards? Well, I use you know Togan's hooks, of course, but I also um, I like Hannock for for comp flies yeah for you know for, for the competition flies so most of my nymphs for comp fishing i tie on 230 bls and then river nymphs i tie on their like their their wide gap jig hooks like the 450 bl yep yep I'm yeah look, i'm those, looking at uh, those, i got some 300 bls i guess that's more of a check yeah, that's more of a like almost looks like a scud hook kind yeah. of shape, right? Yeah, yeah. They have such yeah. a nice wide gap on those. They do, and they're just the nice, super sharp, nice long points on them. Yeah, um, they're they're very nice hooks. Mm. Yeah, for sure. That's something I've learned from the comp guys. Like those guys, you know, some people, you know, turn their nose up at competitive fly fishing, but you know, a lot of the stuff that we use that we don't realize came from competitive fly fishing. Like using beads, for example, that you know, beads weren't used on flies really before the yeah. comp guys discovered it and uh you know those guys those guys know how to catch fish like if you want to get humbled go go in a fly fishing competition and realize that <laughs> you know guys like well johnny and Tadoishi and guys they'll go out there and you're struggling to get a take and they're cleaning up yeah you know chris puckniak is is a master on the river he'll he'll outfish everybody by like a two or three to one margin it's it's incredible that's awesome yeah, yeah, you got, you, it's getting dialed in, right? Like in confidence, and if you've been doing it long enough, you find your system. And I, I mean, we all see that even on like on an amateur level, you know, just on the lake, you'll see somebody that's been doing it a long time or really knows that lake, and it's like, wow, how do I, how do I, how do I get that knowledge? How do I figure that out, right? Yeah, yeah, time on the water is super important for sure. Mm. I, I can remember when we, you know, when we lived in Lillooet, and I was still, you know, just a rank beginner, but. I was a lot of times fishing every day because I would work till you know the evening, and I always left my rod strung up out in the garage, and I'd go out after dinner and grab the rod, walk down to the water, and and eventually, you almost develop a sixth sense where when a fish is going to take, or if you you know you you set the hook, you don't even know why you did it, but but it, you just got the feel, and then if I went away from it for a while and then came back, I would feel rusty and I wouldn't do as well until I I kind of call it getting the chi, you know, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and I think that's a lot of these guys like Chris, he, he fishes a ton down at the coast. He, he's hitting rivers all the time, even for just a short little 45 minute stint. But I think that's really important to have that, like I say, like a sixth sense of uh, just watching your leader and just being totally tuned into all the little things that are going on. Yeah, no, for sure. And especially when it comes to Euro nymphing, I, I think that that's, that's gotta be one of the biggest impact kind of methods in competitive fly fishing oh for sure the guys that are good at it can can vacuum out a run you know they'll 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 they can go in behind somebody that thinks there's no fish there and just be pulling out one after another 
Yeah. How is uh, Pertagons a big uh, pattern for you? I use Pertagons, um, especially in fast water, because mm-hmm. of course, as you know, Pertagons are just a really smooth, slim, you know, heavy little fly, yeah. but they don't look particularly realistic. But no. the, you know, their 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 big advantage is they sink really fast, so you can drop those into fast riffles or pockets and stuff and they drop right in and of course fish in those situations they're not taking time to examine the fly they're just snapping at whatever goes by um but i also like i like more buggy but still heavy patterns almost like a like a hair's ear but with a big heavy tungsten bead on it um and maybe a hot spot you know like fluorescent orange or pink or something behind the bead things like that to to get the fly's attention often a little bit of cdc as a collar give it a little movement in a little bit slower water i think having a little bit of scruffiness and bugginess helps mm-hmm. make the fish think something alive you know maybe capture a little couple air bubbles or something you've been doing this ken a lot of years now i always like to ask people that have been at it a while where are we at as a group like in your mind like you know think back 30 years ago where fly fishing was it's an i think i think personally it's in a very different space it's 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 probably more inclusive than it's ever been we've got um, you know, there's lots of people fly fishing that didn't know about it years ago. What, what do you think? Yeah, for sure. I would, you know, I guess I, I came from the pre-internet times and now, you know, with internet, it's, it's attracting a lot of people. Um, I'd like to see, I'd like to see more women getting involved. It's still mostly guys that are out there. And, uh, that's one nice thing about getting involved with the women's team is, you know, seeing their enthusiasm and they just they have just you know of course a different way about them and um and more kids involved too i belong to penticton fly fishers and uh we're a bunch of old guys you know there, it'd be nice to see, there, there are quite a few young people out there but um you know more more women and youth would be good yeah you i'm know? laughing because i i used to go to those meetings when i was 19 that's uh, a few years ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's where I'm at. I'm in Penn, by the way. I don't know if you knew that, but right, yeah, it's uh, your group there is a is a good group. It's a passionate group, but it's you're right. It's over the years. It's you know we're not getting any younger, but it is good to see. I don't know how you feel about this, Ken, but as as somebody that's you know with Togans and you know you spend a lot of time with those in the know, tying has really like I thought during COVID that the fly tying uh, just hit another level. Oh, it's unbelievable. Like, you know, I, I know lots of those guys that are posting their flies, just absolutely beautiful flies. And I don't even want to post a picture of my flies anymore because <laughs> I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be embarrassed. But it's, yeah, the, the level of skill has, has gone way up. And, you know, it's saying about how the, you know, like the fly clubs, a bunch of old guys and that, but it's, there's, there are still, there's obviously lots of young people involved, but it's, it's, it's a different world now where we're getting a lot of our connections online. So there's, you know, like the Stillwaters Forum on Facebook and FlyBC.ca as a you know internet forum, they have big followings with lots of people um, participating. So it's just a different way of of getting together and the the ability to share knowledge so quickly and easily and so in so much detail is is fantastic. Like the internet has been a, a boon, I think, for fly fishing. The downside, of course, is um, you can get a popular spot completely overrun if if it gets named, which is you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You want to help people out, but at the same time, you don't want to uh, suddenly see 
see a, you know a nice little gem of a lake or something yeah. have 50 boats on it one day well that's the tightrope we walk right like you say and that's something that i've always struggled with you want people to come to it to to do it but at the same time you also want your space and uh there's nothing worse than going to a small little lake or a small section a small run and seeing other people there and gone oh well okay here we go it's like it just changes your mentality right yeah yeah it's it's uh I mean, we're blessed in BC to have, you know, so many fishing opportunities and it's, and it's relatively inexpensive for us, but Mm. it, you know, you can see why people get choked if you mention something online, because for every person that's posting, there's hundreds watching and, uh, you know, it, it can, it can, uh, it can be a detriment, but I do love the ability to, you know, like we mentioned Davy McPhail before, like if you want to know how to tie something and tie it really well, you just pop on YouTube and you can have fantastic instruction. I've, he's got so many tips. It's like, you know what I really learned from him was using the uh, felt markers, you know, like a lot of, a lot of flies I tie now, I just kind of use either white or kind of a lighter colored um, thread and then I'll actually use the marker. Um, and then you have something totally different sometimes when you start mixing those. Oh, for sure. You know, and yeah, I, I, same. I've got a whole variety of colors sitting on my tying bench. And, you know, I used to switch threads to have a different color thorax and stuff. And now I just color the thread I've got with a marker to darken it up. Or, yeah. And I, I, I keep some in my my bag in the boat, too, because, you know, if I want to put a red butt on a chronom that doesn't have one, I just take a red marker and put a red butt on it, Amen. let it dry and yeah. You know, it works. It works great. That's a great tip, and that's why I like tying lighter a lot of times because you can kind of customize it at that time on the lake. I know that sounds crazy, but I have been doing a little bit of that. Oh, it's a great way to do it. So you just like tie it with white thread or something, and keep some markers, and yeah. you can get them get get exactly what you need or close to it at least right on the spot. Do you have a go-to thread when you're tying? Like, is there a brand that you use more often? I say I mostly use. Um, uni and uh and utc um utc lays nice and flat and has that nice shininess to it but i must admit when my hands start getting rough it it shreds pretty pretty easily um uni is a little tougher but it doesn't lie nice and flat as well as as uh, utc does but i'd say those two are probably the most common threads i use utc has such a nice color range too i find yeah 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 some of the smaller companies maybe don't have that range of colors, you know, like, um, it's funny. I, 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 do you use any of these synthetics? Um, some of these strong, uh, like Ke- I do. Yeah. Kevlar? Like, I don't use Kevlar. I have some, but I rarely use it, but I use GSP, you know, just gel spun yep. polyester. Yep. I use that quite a bit, especially, um, when I need to really bear down on stuff and that, you know, I, and I want strength, but not bulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, like on the bait fish patterns that I tie, I'm using GSP on those things. Yeah, that's smart. Makes sense. Yeah. And you can yeah. really pull down. It's nice too sometimes when you're flaring deer hair, would you agree to have something that you know is not going to snap in that bobbin? Absolutely. Because, of course, it'll snap halfway through at the worst possible time and mm-hmm. everything goes everywhere. The downside, though, you got you can't pull too hard or it'll cut right through it. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And it's hard on yeah. scissors too. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone through quite a few pairs of scissors. What do you like to use for scissors? Are you, is there a certain brand or are you using razor blades sometimes? What, what are you using to cut? Mostly I use Dr. Slick scissors. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then, you know, if I'm making like deer hair gonfus or something like that, I'll use a razor blade to, to trim it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Love it. 
So anything coming down the pipe for you this year? It sounds like you're going to be pretty busy uh, with the, uh, you know, the women's championships, the masters championships. Um, hopefully, putting to use your your local knowledge and and helping the teams out as much as you can. But what's what's on the slate for you coming up? Well, that you know, of course, for for the next month or two, a couple months, that's going to be the focus is is getting ready for the worlds here in in Kamloops. Um, I'm hoping we're hoping to get out to the East Kootenays over to Fernie soon. I haven't been over there for years, and you know, um, but I was just watching the news today, and there's all sorts of fires in Sparwood right now. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. And then of course, in late October, early November, we're going to point our camper south and uh, and head back down to Baja. Well, you uh, are living, leading, and inspiring life, Ken. I, re- I really appreciate you taking the time and kind of dialing us in on what you're up to and uh, sharing your story with us today on the show. Well, I, I, I really am glad you asked me. It's, it's cool to, to get to chat with you a bit. We've been chatting today with Ken Woodward. Now, Ken is a retired teacher, middle school teacher. He did uh, math, sciences, computer sciences back in the day, but he's also Togan's pro staff, was a uh, professional biologist, uh, has a place at Tunkwa, spends a lot of time in Kamloops, and is heavily involved with the uh, Canadian national fly fishing team on the women's side, the master's side. Um, And there's not a lot he's not doing and has done in this and uh you're very inspiring appreciate your time and uh hopefully we'll catch up on the water at some point ken yeah i'd love to meet you sometime mark um and then just one more plug for the world since in kamloops this september yeah. um you can easily find out about it you know by going online and look up 2023 you know world fly fishing championships um women's and masters um i know she i think is still uh, looking for volunteers um, it, you know, it takes a lot of people to put on an event like that. So uh, if anybody wants to get involved, just uh, look up Todd and uh, and get a hold of him. And if not, come out and cheer on the team. Love it. Well put. Thanks for joining us this time around. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, powered by theflycrate.com, your source for all things fly fishing. Wait For It Films, featuring fly fishing videos and camera-related content. Custom music from Damian Anderson and by BrokenTippet.com.